Welcome to another OTOR MXGP Pro Taper podcast. This is a slightly unusual recording. We had the pleasure and luck to gather Team Great Britain for the 2019 Motocross of Nations, Max Anstey, Sean Simpson and Ben Watson last Saturday for an exclusive and revealing chat about the forthcoming event Assen at the end of September. Of course, 24 hours later and the whole picture changed. Keep listening though for a comprehensive breakdown of the Grand Prix of Italy with Paul Malin on Sunday night in Imola. And don't forget that ProTaper.com is your best and only stop for bars, bits, accessories and trick starting devices. Okay, so sitting down here with Ben Watson, Max Anstey and Sean Simpson guys, thanks ever so much for having a chat. Um, it's a bit of an honour actually to be here with the 2019 team GBR. Um, we were talking about this a minute ago, but how many times have you... Uh, how can you say it? Um, had a special helmet design painted. I guess that's confirmation that you're you're in, isn't it? Yeah, ben? definitely. For me, obviously, it's a, a massive honour game because 18 was the first year I was selected, and then yeah, it was it was an amazing experience that I'll never forget. And then yeah, I've got the opportunity to to go and represent GB again, and yeah, I'm really excited. Max, I've done five. This will be my sixth. I think um, if I'm correct, Lawnmower 20. 12, I was MX3, um, 2015, only did Saturday before I got landed on, um, and then 16 Majora, 17 Matali, and then, yeah, last year, so, did I count that right? Yeah, I'm right, so this will be my sixth one. Sean, yours first one was Fancher uh, Quarter? No, Donington Park 2008, where right. I rode the Open Class on the 250, so that was my first ever... Uh, Nations there, and then yeah, Francia Court the year after 2009, and then I'd done 13, 14, 15, 16, and then I had 17 and 18 off, and then I'm back for this year, so this will be my seventh. Don't really get people riding the 250 anymore in open class, do you? That's a bit of a that was Easty just really Mark Eastwood. He decided, well, if you know, I've been riding 250 that well all year. Um, Tommy was in the team as well, he was riding 250 great that, that season as well, I think he finished second in the World Championship that year. Um, Billy Mack was riding good in the 450 and you know we were the kind of three guys at that time and he said well you know, do you fancy riding a 450, have you got a 450 and I said look I think I'd probably just ride my 250 just as well and I rode it, you know, I did actually ride really well but I had a start crash in one of the motos, my goggle strap broke, it was <laughs> turned into a bit of a disaster but never mind, it was an experience like Ben says, your first one you'll never forget. If we, um, inc well we're here at the Imola Grand Prix, so we're talking, so there's four rounds left of MXGP but if we think about Assen then, you know, it's quite obvious that Team Netherlands are, are going to be pretty much favourite on their home turf. Um, the Americans could be a bit of a mystery. Um, just before we talk about your chances, what do you reckon to the US team? Because everyone always wants to talk about them. I mean, Zach Osborne, I guess, has got good sort of pedigree in the sand. Um, any opinions on, on that lineup? I mean, when you saw it, what did you think? Or did you kind of think, no chance, mate? I mean, I know they want to come over a bit earlier and learn the sand, but um, Assen's kind of weird, isn't it? For me, they've chose probably their strongest team because I know a lot of the riders over in the US are not really that keen on coming over and trying to take on the, the challenge of Assen let's say because it's definitely not something they're going to find in, in the US but Osborne is probably for me their strongest rider because of his experience that he's had over in Europe and I know that he was at one point yeah, a good sand rider I think so yeah I know Anderson's one that will always just go out and just give his everything every time so I think he'll be motivated no what like no matter what's put in front of him. So yeah, I think they have chose their strongest team for me, but yeah, we 
don't really know what to expect from that actually. I think Ben's right. I mean, the three guys, they're they're super motivated. They love riding their bike. You know, two or three of the Yanks don't really, you know, like doing the nations. It's an event that you know, there's no real money involved. You know, it's a big trip over at the end of the year. They've had a busy schedule. I think, you know, those three guys will be, you know, they'll come, get stuck in, give it their all, and just see where they end up. Whether they'll be competitive, I'm sure they will be there or thereabouts, but enough to to be fighting for the spots on the box or the win, possibly not. I mean, Max, I understand their, their opinion because they stopped for like, I mean, their last national is next week, I think. So they almost stopped for a month. And then to ask them to come over and race like a, an event like Assen where they just truck in all the sand and throw it on a road race track. I mean, that's got to be a real fish out of water thing, don't you think? Yeah. Um, I think they're getting lapped. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, uh, no, I think uh, for them, I mean, I had this conversation with someone the other day. It, you know, they were talking about Tomac at Redbud, and, and you know, they, they, they struggled there, but I feel like they're, they, the Europeans, they prep the track, the MXGP guys prep the track. It might as well have been riding at Hawkstone. It, that's what it felt like, just with a few better jumps. Um, it was foggy and misty, and we ride that condition all the time. Those guys, I, I was there and watched those Americans struggle. Tomac, yeah, struggled a bit, uh, whatever. Seven days later, I was also there when he won a million dollars. So, personally, what do you think he trained more for? You, you know, <laughs> I've won the Nations, I've gone 1-1, and I know the bonus money from that just about buys your dinner so so I think I, I think they've yeah I, I think he's you know if they're putting more emphasis on the Monster Cup I I know it's yeah I just think that that's probably what their their logic is behind it especially if they're training for Supercross and getting ready for that I think that's probably yeah yeah, but my argument always of Redbud when they said, yeah, but the track isn't the same as the national. There was half a field of European guys who'd never seen it before. So, you know, why are they so fast? I know the track, Pep, you can say was very European, but it's still, I mean, someone like Glenn Koldenhoff, who won both motos, still had to learn his way around. I mean, yeah, but I think I think it it did resemble very European style. I'm not, the, the Americans... On, the thing is, they're so different. Everyone always comes up with this uh, this battle of Europe and America. But just think, you, they one week later, if all the European guys were lined up at Monster Cup, Tomac would have probably lapped all of them. Like there's there's only a few guys that can ride Supercross. So it's they, they put so much of their emphasis on Supercross, and even their outdoors is a different style. Whereas we ride. Lommel in the winter, we ride all these tracks in the rain and the sand, and we do motocross 24 7 all year round. So, if they beat us at a motocross race in Europe, I would be quite surprised because you can't get better than what we do because we ride it all the time. Yeah, so I personally feel that's it's it's like you're not gonna be able to go, Oh, they're just gonna be amazing just because they're Americans. They don't, if they don't train on it, they don't, they're not trained on it, and even. I was also looking at this the other day, like they, they did some silly things. They run out in Redbud with normal tyres on, on the Saturday qualifying race. I watched Roxon line up to the gate and he had a normal tyre on. I was like, what are you doing? Like, you get the scoop you, on well, there. Yeah. Every single other person's got a scoop on. It's like, just, you've got no chance of getting out of the gate. 
and just, just it's just those things that you learn. At, I mean, of course, yeah, he, he's he's a world champion. He knows what he's doing. But the thing is, when when you're doing those type of tracks day in and day out, all year round, I think that that makes a difference for also the teams. We we know what settings to go with and things like that. So. Yeah, so if you've got a scoop tyre at Essen, then you're going to be rubbing your hands really on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, um, you know, when it comes to... One, I'm a big football fan, but when, when it comes to, like, World Cup time, one of the things I hate is reading on the back pages of the paper an England guy, you know, wrapped in, like, the St. George, saying, yeah, we're going to go and win it, you know. So I don't want to put any pressure on you by, you know, Team GBR by saying, yeah, great, you know, it looks fantastic for this year. But, you know, on paper, I mean, Sean, you won the first Grand Prix at Essen. Then you got your first podium of the year in Lommel, and Max, you know, should have been one-one mm. at Lommel, but you know, the second second motor there, you just, you know, you were close to lapping a lot of people as well. So, yeah. I think a lot of British fans, you know, especially those thinking, right, I'm going to get over to Assen with this team, um, you know, I've got reason to be, I don't know, positive, pumped on it, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I feel like if you look on paper, we have the the strongest team for us guys. Let's say, you know. When you look at some past history from us in the the sand, we have three very strong riders, so we can definitely head there with with a lot of confidence. And when you know you see the release yesterday and you you read some of the comments, you can't help but kind of go through them and just see what everyone's thinking. And I feel like this is the most support that Team GB has had since the selection has been announced for me. Because even last year, you know, everyone has their own opinion, and people when they're behind the the screen, they're not shy to just really put out there what they think and this year I was surprised with really how much support all three of us have had and yeah I think it shows that yeah we can be confident. So that's there's been four Grand Prix Essen, you've won one, Clement de Salle's won one and Hurlings has won one, two maybe. Possibly. Yeah, yeah. so I mean from your experience of winning around Essen Sean is it going to take anything particularly special or you know is there any other track like it in MXGP? No, I think I think that's probably well. Going on what I've heard, that's probably what they're trying to learn from what the the GPs that they've run there. You know, it was a bit tight. You know, some some people were saying it was slightly dangerous between walls, between fences, up and down pit lane uh, on the the World Superbike track. So I heard they're going to be changing it quite a bit. But what's really unique about you know this the race there is the sand's all brought in. You know, it's over a meter deep in some sections. It's it's never been ridden before because it's just built. So it's as soft as you can ever get. And the lines that get created on that track are just, you know, there's going to be bumps and, you know, lines everywhere. So to come from a, you know, a start 6th, 7th in the pack, you know, 8th, you can still ride your way through quite easily because it's one of those tracks where you can make up a lot of time. Starts are still going to be key, they, all, they always are, um, to get away with a front group of guys, you know, Herlings, the Dutch team, they're, they're obviously going to be, you know, home favourites and they've got, you know, strong riders on their team as well. The Belgian team, I feels a little bit on the weaker side this year potentially um, you know not as strong as it has been in the past maybe um, and then you know the American team you know that's an unknown quantity you know we've got a good strong team I think you know we have to be in with you know a, a real good shout you know we've said it in the past but I think this year you know especially with the way the track is and how we all ride in the sand I think it could be could be something special just, for us. just imagine if uh, we show up and they've made an Imola they've brought hard pack dirt in and it, it's a little super crush track and we just get smoked by the American <laughs> yeah. surprise yeah okay yeah we walk the wrong tyres here you actually don't know what sand they're going to bring in do you it could be a, a big surprise but no I'm sure it's just going to be the same 
It's the same as every year, but... And another thing that, you know, is... Yeah, it's it's a great feeling right now with everything, but you still have to do one job at a time, and we've got four GPs left. And, and as excited as you can get about the Nations, I think it's more of like the cherry on the cake of the end of the season. And you... Like, not being funny, but you've still got to make it there. You've still got to get there all healthy, feeling good, ready to rock and roll. And it kind of goes the same at the weekend as well. At, at the Nations, you, you, things are out of your control. You, you know, last year with, with Tommy and his bike stopping and things like this, it, it affects the whole team. So it's not... You've just got to focus on doing your job as well as you can. Try and get a qualifying position on Saturday. Try and put yourself in a good position. But as far as it goes down to the actual racing side and where you end up, if we end up on the podium or not, there's a whole lot of other things that can go into it. You know, you can only do as well as you can do and there's a hell of a lot of other things that could, could happen and go wrong and, yeah. You look at Tixier's frantic bike rebuild yeah. between the motos last year, I mean, that kind of saved France's bacon, really, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, they, they must have run out of luck by now, surely. Yeah, last year they, they got lucky. Like uh, Netherlands should have won it without, yeah, even any competition at all. Vlaanderen didn't even didn't even race, and they yeah. still ended up goggle on the podium. Goggle prep, guys. So. Goggle prep. Don't don't neglect your yeah, goggle no. prep. Yeah, <laughs> no. Shouldn't, shouldn't be any stones or anything that catches out in, in Arsenal. <laughs> don't know. It might be hard pack, like Max said. Listen, um, just you know, going off the nations for a moment. If you take a step back from your respective seasons, which have all had like twists and turns and stories and whatever else, I mean, Ben sitting here with a large lump of metal protruding almost out of his hand. Um, what's been like the story of MXGP this year? Because it was the Cairoli year in 2017. Um, last year was like Hurlings. You know, what 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 do you think like 2019 has been? Is it is it really just been about Tim Geyser, or has it been about injuries? Uh, people saying are the 450s again now too fast. I think the average speed in Russia was 63 kilometers an hour. Um, you know, way way over what you would expect in MXGP. Um, you know, what, what's kind of Ben? I'll maybe ask you about MX2 in a moment. But in Sean and Max, what's what's kind of your feelings? What's what's the narrative of this year? I think at the beginning of the season, when when Jeffrey was sort of you know out the picture, and then then Tony was you know battling with Tim. You know, it could have went either way there. Um, after Tony got injured, you know, Geyser pushed that hard at the beginning of the season that, you know, since Tony got injured, I feel like he's more or less been on cruise control. And in some ways, that's even helped him out a little bit, purely because there's no real pressure anymore. He's riding nice. He's, you know, if he finishes second or third, he's not really bothered. But sometimes when you're riding really tight, you know, it's harder to get results than when you're just a bit more relaxed and you're just riding around. But it has been it has been tough to watch. You know, I watched five GPs from home. You know, I was out with a small injury in my hand that came at the wrong point in the season for me. It was packed out with um, the, consecutive the, races. Yeah, Russia, Latvia, Germany, then the two Indonesian races. So I watched them races from home. You know, the Russian one for me, I had a, a big crash there last year. Didn't really enjoy riding the track. Didn't feel that confident on it. It looked even worse this year, just from you know, what I've seen on TV. But you know, track prep, you're never going to please everyone. You know, I like it when it's deep and rutty and technical and slow. And some people do really like it when it's fast and hard pack and slick. And you, know, you, you have to have a, a bit of everything in there. So, you know, if every weekend it was deep and muddy and rutty and sandy, it'd be great for me, but it would be you know, not any good for a lot of the other guys. And I think a world championship has to include a bit of everything. You know, I'd like to see more sand races on the calendar, but that's my, my personal opinion. I think. 
there has to be things to learn from the track prep. There's there's things that keep popping up that riders keep talking about week in, week out, in the press conferences, in the press, in their press reports, that still keep happening. I think you have to focus on those points, try and make them a bit better, and, and overall, you know, you're always going to have one or two complaints at the end of the day, but I think there, there is things to be done with the tracks to improve them. An example of that, Max? I mean, is there, is there something that, something uniform that needs to be applied to every track? Maybe more care of watering, or is it...? No, I think, I think sometimes I'm actually taking Ben as an example. In Germany, they put a load of these funny little square lumps everywhere on the outside of the track, which is fine because they want to keep you on the track, but then if you have a track that's really rutty like that was and you've got a little bit loose he literally went a meter off the track hit a thing and bang your hands broken or, or whatever happened whereas I I feel like it could be yeah maybe that could be an area that like, there you could have been able to go off the track obviously you don't want to go off the track but if you do go off the track you're not gonna crash your brains out um, in a couple of areas but yeah, like Sean said, I think if it's deep and rutty, people say it's sketchy. If it's too flat and hard, people say it's sketchy. I think you've kind of just got to I try not to really think about it. I just try and get on with it each weekend and and um, yeah, and do the best that you can. I think I think Rui is really good for the uh, for the tracks and for you know. I think we've they've definitely improved i think the mx2 motor is definitely not as wet as what they used to be a couple of years ago i mean some of them are but sometimes like the mx2 motors were just literally a mud race um so yeah i, I think it's it's going in the right direction yeah like sean said you're not going to be able to please everyone so um yeah it's what it is. was that the case ben i mean were you happier yeah so like germany for me um my injury was almost certainly from the track prep okay i made a mistake and i lost my balance in a rut and like it, it was last minute, just swerved out of the rut, otherwise I was going to crash there and then on the track, but I managed to like wandle my way out of it a little bit and, and kind of stay upright, but it shot me kind of straight directly right off the track and then just directly in front of me was a, a complete, like a flat wall basically of, of mud and it was solid, I just hit that and the bike completely stopped dead and I went straight over the bars and I just hit my hand on the floor quite hard and yeah, I, I stood up with a broken hand and it was it was just frustrating because we spoke directly to them about this and uh, on Sunday it was all, everything was still there, it was open for someone else to do exactly the same and then you go to the following races, you know, I saw in Lommel, okay the sand is a lot softer there and if you do hit something like this it's, the impact's not going to be anywhere near as hard but you know you still see the same things occurring each round and they they have someone who's had an injury from it and they don't really seem so willing to change to react to just it. something even small like that. I spoke to Mark DeRuby yesterday and he said one modern thing you seem to see with tracks now is berms popping up everywhere and it's making riders like hit sections super fast because you know you can just like kind of bounce out of it and carry on and he cited Lockett in the Czech Republic as an example there's a couple of places where berms you could like in the steep the, depth, the drop down you know, you can just like fire your way back up the hill, whereas in previous years you had to be a bit edgy, a bit careful, you know, not, you know, otherwise you go flying over the fence. I mean, I don't know, it seems like uh, tracks are trying to, trying to slow it down, put more jumps in, more obstacles, but then, you know, with the suspension, the way the engines are, the way the frames are, you know, you'll be invited to go even quicker than before. Do you kind of feel that, or is it not, 
is that uh, people making too much of a thing about it. I think it's catch-22 with the berms purely because you know, if, if you have an off-camber turn that's ripped in water, real nice, you know, nine times out of ten, everyone will just follow the same rut round it because that's the fastest way to go around that corner. So then they introduce a couple of berms to try and create two lines, yeah. but then you've got this slingshot thing that you're talking about, which does increase the speed. But I don't know, the, the bikes, it's so difficult to tell. You know, I've been doing Grand Prix racing for 15 years, you know. I thought my suspension was pretty good 15 years ago. I, st I still complain about it now, I complained about it then, you know. You're just riding the tracks that's there and trying to get the most out of it. Engine character comes into how your suspension feels, they're getting a little bit faster each year, but on a 450, you know, KTM for example, it comes with around 60 horsepower, we tune it up to around 63, 64. Anything more than that is pretty much unrideable, it's too much power. So it's not that we're getting more power each year, it's just I feel like, you know, maybe the suspension and the combination and, you know, we've got to push that edge a little bit further to try and, you know, be in be in the top five or the top ten and, you know, because all the, there's good talent coming out of the MX2 class, pushed into MXGP because of the age rule, you know, it's a fight to be even, you know, in the top ten, there's 15 good guys. I just think it's more battles than ever on track. Yeah, that's the thing. I think it's more there's yeah, there's 10, 15 guys or whatever that can you could be inside the top 5 one weekend and outside the top 10 the next weekend. It's um it's, and battling just as hard. Yeah, so I just think it's yeah, there's some people been injured, but I don't think it's down to, yeah, I think it's just down to everyone's trying to go as fast as they can and injuries also happen, you know, it's not like you, we ride motocross bikes, we're going to crash at some point, it's whether you bounce and sometimes you're lucky and you bounce well, sometimes you don't bounce very well. That's it. Last question guys, I know you've got free practice to go and get ready for. Um, you know, going back to Assen, I mean there's a special atmosphere in that place because the, the fans are all packed into that grandstand, aren't they? Um, you know, before it's been a predominantly Dutch crowd, you know, last year they went bananas over hurlings winning. If you can imagine like a large British contingent in there, what's it going to be like racing around that place? You know, hearing or feeling the fans' presence, is it going to be kind of unusual because they're up there in the stand, or you know, there's, it's not really a circuit where you get people leaning over the fences, is it, or are you close to the fences? How's how's it going to be? You know, I mean, again, for the British fans that come over and, and want to support you, I mean, is it going to be a kind of a, a case where you you interact with them in the paddock and then you're going to have to wave to them because they're like 200 meters up in the stand? Be like What's going to be? Be like a football uh, stadium. <laughs> I think um, I think it'll be cool. I I. I bowed, I think it was with Glenn, with Koldenhoff, one of the years, and it was crazy, like, they were going mad, so it was quite quite cool as you're going through the wave section up to the finish line. I mean, I don't know how the track's going to be this year, it's going to be different, but I think, uh, I think, yeah, it's, it's different, it's, you know, that might be the only advantage that the, the Americans kind of have, is it'll feel a bit more like you're in a stadium kind of thing, you know, they're, there's gonna be, it's gonna be loud. It's, it's different from when you're outside and it's loud. Like being in that area, it's all concrete around. Okay, you've got the sand, but everything that's concrete, that's gonna be seriously loud with people and their chainsaws and their air horns and things, so. Yeah. I think, yeah, it, it's nice. It does create that sort of, you know, amplified sound with a crowd, especially. Like I remember in 2016, I passed Caroli on the first lap going through the wave section, and just the roar of the crowd was just something that you, you you don't really hear that often. Even like 
you know, I pole shot at Matterley at a British Grand Prix and led a few laps and it's like Max says, it's a completely different sound. Like contained, isn't it? Yeah, but at the same time, I, I, it's it's one of those things I do miss, is having people hanging over the fence at Assen. You know, it's one of those tracks where there's, there's not any yeah. area on the track where, you know, you can see the flags and banners draped over the fence as you're riding around on the sighting lap or... Or it's even, for, for a lot of the fans, they don't like to be up in the seats 200 metres away. They like to be trackside. You know, some people like to be up in the seats because they can see more of the track. Some people like to be right next to it so they can smell the race fuel. It's, uh, it's just different. And I think if they could combine both of those at that track, so somewhere around the back, have an area where the fans can get close to the track, I think that would be a positive vibe to have. And then, you know, the amplified sound of the, the grandstand creates a good atmosphere. And I think, you know, it will be electric without doubt. For me, I've only really experienced like the support, you know, crazy in in Matterley because, yeah, I raced the Nations and it was in in the USA, so the American fans were just meant they just kind of took over everybody. I mean, <laughs> you see the the English flags and stuff all around in the USA. There was there was a lot of British fans there, but yeah, it's it's just some people will say, oh yeah, Aston next year we'll wait, <laughs> we'll wait one more year and we'll go there, and I think. Assen, there's going to be a lot of fans there, but maybe you won't actually feel it like you know you would in, let's say, somewhere like Matterley, because, like you say, you can you can really get to the fence, and you on the site, like when you're going slow, everyone is they're actually next to the bikes pretty much, and uh, they're all going crazy. Yeah, I can remember actually. Sorry, Ben. No. I, uh, at Matterley Basin Nations, there were some people that were kept jumping over the fence and were right on the side of the track. And they were naked, were they? Or? I, don't, I don't even know what they were doing, but they were saying that on the tannoy, that if they didn't get off the track, they were going to have to stop the race because these people were just jumping in. Like, yeah, I'm okay. Obviously, it was getting pretty intense, but it was literally the the last few laps of that second moto. They were trying to jump on the track, so so I think um, beer fueled, no doubt. Yeah, that that is something that's that is awesome. Um, yeah, like I, th I think Sean's got the right idea. I reckon one side of it have it like in the stadium, and the other side try and get try and get the people that can actually get pretty close and um, yeah, get boosted. In, in previous years in Assen, you've not actually been able to get into the middle of the track. You've just no. been on the outskirts, and that's yeah, around it. the back. And like half, actually, some parts of the track you can't even even get to. Like it goes along the side of the old garages for the for the road racing, and it's yeah, you actually can't can't get anywhere near there you just from the grandstand you see yeah you're sitting up high and you can see like you either choose one side of the track or the other to see and uh, I think for the nations they will change it up a little bit because in previous years even for even for the GP it looks like it's maxed out like it doesn't look like you can actually get any more slot any more fans in somewhere else and the motocross the nations is going to be yeah it's going to be double the size so I think there's going to be a few things changed for the nations and yeah. hopefully it allows the fans to get in the middle of the train. Well listen, we're going to be cheering you all on, so um, thanks ever so much for chatting to us today and uh, best of luck for it. Thank you. Cheers. Okay, so post Grand Prix, um, the MXGP of Italy in the Media Centre, uh, joined by Paul Malin again. Um, Paul, it's been a while, so thanks for coming back to uh, dissect some of the actions and events from uh, Imola today. Uh, the headlines, of course, um, Tim Geiger um, making sure of his third world championship, his second in MXGP uh, since 2016. But first, before we get into anything else, I just have to say, um, 
I can't quite believe I'm saying this after having recorded a podcast with Team GBR, Sean Simpson, Max Anstey and Ben Watson earlier on, and now it's looking like that team is completely upside down. Um, just as an update, this should be it going out on Monday after the Grand Prix, but uh, Max still in hospital, of course. Um, a torn lung from his crash in the Grand Prix of Belgium at Lommel, uh, just becoming worse uh, after the after the qualification heat yesterday here in Italy and a tear in his lung that's now become a bit bigger so he's on the edge of possibly needing surgery uh, Ben Watson crashed in warm-up this morning for MX2 uh, now looking at a broken radius uh, and very likely the end of his season the second break this year of course for the young Kimei Yamaha rider and then uh, Sean Simpson just having a bad day and trying to get himself out of a hole of form at the moment um, so it's it's, it's <laughs> it's looking like we're going to need, uh, you know, certainly another two riders for Assen. I don't even know where to start with it, to be honest. Just watching it unfold today with um, the first news. Well, the first news was last night that um, Max Anstey. I got back to my TV compound, my office there, and uh, George, our social media guy, he was looking on, um, on the internet to see what a pneumothorax was. And I said, because um, he said, actually, first of all, he said, oh, Mac's gone to hospital. And I thought he meant Nicky Mac from the cycle race, <laughs> you know, that she'd almost, uh, you know, passed out after the efforts. But then he said, no, 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 Max Anstey's in hospital with a pneumothorax. And I said, Sounds like so, a Pokemon. Yeah, so basically, and I know exactly what that is, because in uh, 95, I went to Australia and did a supercross race. And uh, two laps to go in that particular race, I ended up sort of like just going over the bars, um, couldn't get away from the bike and did a collarbone. Had a bit of a stitch pain, but they released me from hospital with whiplash and a collarbone. Right. Uh, didn't pick up on the ribs. And then I flew back two or three days later. And from the connection in China to London, my rib popped and popped my lung. And by the time I landed, my lung had completely collapsed, but I didn't know that. And so when I got home, uh, my dad had picked me up at the airport and he told me how rough I looked. And I just said, uh, just take me to the local hospital. Normally you need an appointment, but I just said, look, I, um, I've had a motorcycle accident, I've just flown back from Australia and I've got breathing difficulties and they said, okay, we'll look at you. And then when they saw the x-ray, they said, I'm sorry, you've just flown back from Australia and they let you fly, fly back like this. And I said, well, like what? And they said, you've got a broken rib and a collapsed lung. And I went, oh, okay, so um, yeah, you're gonna need to go to the, the city hospital, you know, the bigger hospital. I just went to a local one. And I said, oh, okay, what? So how long will that take? Like an hour, two hours and stuff? And I was just completely oblivious. And they said, no, 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 you'll be in a little bit longer than that. So um, it was local anaesthetic. They went in with the scalpel. I saw the whole process, uh, procedure. Um, and then the orange tubing that you use in sort of uh, science experiments in school. Bunsen burner. Yeah, Bunsen burner type stuff. They poked through my chest cavity with his finger, took the, um, the piping, stitched it into place. So um, when I breathed out, the air could pass through there. They put a conical... Um, um, a conical flask on the floor with a big bung and two capillary tubes, one into um, a certain level of water. So when I breathed out, it bubbled. And then a half capillary tube by the side of the bung that then would release the air. And the science of it is, when there are no more bubbles, your lung is patched up. There's so no you, more air can escape. So and you I was were in for a science experiment. I was a science <laughs> experiment. Um, you were there so for one week? I was in hospital for one week, but mine was a collapsed lung, completely okay. collapsed, not a tear, um, but a punctured lung. So a tear on the lung 
needing surgery? Possibly, I don't know. Or maybe it would just heal up in the same way uh, as mine. So I've got experience with that firsthand. Do you, do you think it's, it is a season ender for Max or is something that you know <clears throat> he, he could potentially be back racing by China or? So mine was in December of uh, 95 and it was very cold that, that particular winter as well. So when I came out of hospital a week later, they said, look, take it easy. Um, and I could because it was the off season, but they said no real kind of energetic uh, activity because with the cold weather, it's more susceptible to, you know, coming undone again. So I just took it easy for a couple of weeks uh, and that was it. Um, and I was in off season and I probably didn't start training until January anyway. Okay. So just as a precautionary measure. Well, if it is weaker because of um, cold weather, then one thing he's got on his side is the warm weather. You know, but it just depends on the severity of the tear um, and the kind of emptiness of the lung, if you like. You know, yeah. but obviously he's felt it over the past ten days or so. We wouldn't have thought he'll be flying eleven hours to Shanghai. I you, mean, to... you would definitely not be flying because the air pressures. That's what happened to mine. The air pressures eventually, you know, put the pressure on the on the rib to pop, and then into the lung. So, definitely no long hauls. It's. Um, I mean, it's been a crazy. 10 days, two weeks for Max. I mean, confirmation from Standing Construct KTM that he won't have a saddle there next year. Mm. Um, then being picked for the Nations team, which we established was, I think, the sixth time, if I remember rightly, from our chat yesterday. And then, of course, this, this latest setback. Um, it, it's, it's sympathy for the guy, completely and utterly. Yeah, and after his long performances, you know, with the qualifying yeah, race and... Um, and the motor victory. And a, and a win. Um, obviously... The, the, the last thing we expected was for him not to be on that ride and then but that team was two-thirds decimated today with Ivo Monticelli going off in turn one in race one mm. severe um, concussion according to mm. team principal team Ma Tim Mathis yeah so um, yeah bittersweet cold enough goes and gets a 1-1 but we'll probably talk about that in more detail later but yeah um, going back to the MX Nation MX on um, Ben Watson yeah obviously devastated for him broken radius like you said, but, it could be a, a season-ending injury. But apparently it doesn't need an operation, or they're not going to have an operation. Well, if you don't operate, then it's obviously going to have to heal naturally. It's going to take at least, what, four weeks? Yeah, four That's to six. four weeks off the bike, six weeks off the bike. Well, we're, you know, Sweden next week, a week off. Four weeks, we're in China. Five weeks, we're in uh, a week off. And then six weeks, we're in Assen. Yeah, it's going to be too tight. So it's way too tight. Um, you know, thinking of a plan B, not to harp on about sort of Team GBR too much, but then you've got uh, Tommy Sell, you know, really, I'd say his enthusiasm for wanting to ride the, the factory Kawasaki probably higher than his race condition, um, you know, or his, his, his uh, cap you know, capacity to, to race, you know, a high level in MHGP, but doing well today, running top six, top seven. I was impressed with him. He got good starts and that's um, what he's been lacking. So uh, two good starts, put himself in two good positions and was steady away. Didn't set anything alight, but um, for him, I think he'll take confidence from that. He'll move to Sweden next week and try to improve. Um, and hopefully this will be the start of a good run, which at the start of his switch to Monster Energy Kawasaki looked like more woe for you know the factory team because both the, the factory guys were out and then he was injured with ribs before he even started. So it was almost comical in, in some ways, you know, yeah. when I spoke to Francois Lemarier on the studio show, but... Um, but he's, you know, he, he, looked, he looked good today, solid. I think he'll be pleased with his performance, that he was consistent at least. And, you know, for the MX2 option, you, you're going to feel happy if you can swap out, you know, Ben Watson for maybe Adam Sterry, who's been riding well recently. If he just mm. cut out some of those mistakes like we saw, you know, again, sort of rear its head today, then, you know, he'll be good in the sand. He'll be, he'll be a good sort of substitute, if you like. 
I think Sterry is the only other option, really, because Conrad Muse has been off all year. So he's not coming back anytime soon, and he's not going to be anywhere near race fit. So Sterry now has to stay out of uh, trouble. Um, Tommy probably going to have to step up. Sean, like you say, is uh, looking to find himself out of a hole. Hopefully it will click because of the motocross nations, because of the sand, because of all yeah. those things. But, you know, I think Sean was disappointed with his own performance in Lommel. Yep. So hopefully that's not a telltale sign that Assen is also going to be a problem. He's dealing with some physical issue in Belgium today. Uh, Rock hit his goggles and caused some blurred vision or some affected vision in the first moto. And the second one, he was actually running pretty good. Uh, top 10 speed and then just like slipped out on the, uh, the, the big jump before the, the pit lane uh, and that finished his race. But let's, let's move on, Paul, because, um, you know, uh, Glenn Coldenoff, the overall winner today, uh, first win in the category for standing construct KTM, like you rightly pointed out, you know, three riders in that team, two of them in hospital, uh, but one of them on top of the podium. That was his first win since Latvia in 2015, which not to do a disservice to Glenn, that was a bit of a shock that day that he mm. took the, the victory on the factory Suzuki. Um, and it was, I think he said in the press conference, that was the closest he's shown in form to his 1-1 at Redbud yeah. uh, in the Nations of 2018. Mm. Oh, it clicked perfectly for it. But even in qualifying, we saw it yesterday in the qualifying race, he came from outside the top 10 to get to second and he was passing people where other people were following and he did exactly the same today. Obviously, his last race was impressive. He grabbed his third foxhole shot of the season and was never headed. No one saw him. He was almost Prado-esque in that respect in the final race. Just hit cruise mode. And like you say, very uh, red bud kind of uh, type performance for him. I mean, he's a, he's a rider that really feeds on confidence. I mean, I think the podium he took the first one of the season in Lommel two weeks ago, you know, would have pushed that up a little bit. He's a very sensitive rider as well to his setup. I, again, I don't want to do a disservice to him because he was fantastic today. But do you think Tim Geiger had a little bit of the championship on his mind or was not, you know, going to be pushing out there like we've seen him do in earlier Grand Prix? No, because I saw Tim was pushing in the first race. And then in sort of earlier season um, kind of fashion, he threw himself down the track, you know, and um, in between race one and race two, I saw Gordon Crockard and uh, he got the shirt on and I said, hey, congratulations. He went, thank you, you know, obviously a Honda win. And I said, uh, didn't make it easy for himself though, did he? And he went, no, I went, you wouldn't have expected anything less. And he went, no, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, a joke between us, but, you know, it was, a, it was a pretty big crash, but he, he picked himself, and he was pushing because he'd made a mistake with Tonus earlier. You know, they're both tangled at the bottom of the hill uh, before you go up the wave section over on the far side. So they lost two or three positions each, Tonus and, and Geiser. And he was already pushing at that point, and he'd got himself back into second place when he made that mistake again. You know, the track was brutal. Um, that, I think, played the, the part in that crash. But it was after that, when he got himself back to fifth and Jeremy was only in second, that he was like, okay, three or four laps to go, you could see he cruised then, it was safe. He'd done the work in the beginning. Um, psychologically, I think he was making, him, making his presence felt by showing um, Seaworth that he was there and you know, you're gonna have to work hard if you're gonna, you're gonna have to win this race and I'm gonna have to finish lower than eighth. There was a very big possibility that he wouldn't have picked himself up after that. True. You know, that crash. True. And he was prepared to push and, and take that risk in order to sort of um, assert his authority. But eventually, 
common sense prevail. Well, he's only missed the podium once this year, and he's, he managed to win the championship by finishing third overall today behind uh, Jeremy Sue on the Monster Energy Yamaha. Again, the Yamaha's like a war in pack. We had Gautier Paulin, you know, Arnold Tonus, you know, he's dropping off a little bit in terms of results in this second, well, the latter phase of the season. Um, Roman Feber as well having a crash. Um, mm, that was it, a nasty crash yeah, as well. It just seems like the, you know, there are blue bikes there around you know buzzing trying to trying to form some sort of results but sewer for me paul uh, you know is, has been fantastic i think it's been such a such a big season for him and likely to finish second in the world yeah and you know he's 41 points ahead of gotcha Paulin now and it was something like uh was it 27 or 28 or something going into the the first race today um i think or around there maybe a little bit more um but he you know, the, the second half of the season, he's picked up four third-place finishes. Three of those came on the bounce. And then um, he missed the podium last week or two weeks ago in Belgium with fourth overall, and he's responded well with his best-ever finish in MX2, second overall. And in his post-race interview um, on MXGP TV, he said, you know, one step better, and, you know, I'm looking for one step higher, as in a GP win. He's normally performed well in Sweden, and I think... After today, on a circuit that wasn't easy to ride, hard pack, if he gets the, good, the starts that he's been making today, the last couple of weeks, I think he could be challenging for a win. You know, it depends on the, the World Championship hangover that Tim will be going into Sweden with, you know. The Grand Prix of Sweden and Nevada taking place next weekend. Uh, we saw a championship winning party today. It's likely to be another in seven days' time with um, Rebel KTM's Jorge Prado. Uh, 13 wins in a row now. Uh, needs one more. So if he wins the overall in Sweden, he'll equal Jeffrey Hurlings' record. Of 14 uh, from, in a row. Yeah, in a 14 in a row from 2013. Uh, he's already bettered Jeffrey's efforts in 2014 and 2016. Mm. So that's um, it's quite some feat. I mean... We're getting to the point now as journal of journalists where we're writing about you know the MX. There's, there's two classes in MX2. Yes. And there's you know there's the world champion and there's everything that's happening behind him. Before we talk about that, does it count that Stefan Evert's had 17 wins in a season in 2003, all in a row, doubling up on the two classes because oh, he started off. No, we can't count. Can we well, count two, can, class, two classes there were one in a row? Class, there were one class most three, three in one day. And it day. was, uh, he won three in one day there. But he, when he won, I think it was round four, he, he, um, you know, he went, uh, he, yeah, and he won every race of MX1. And when he went into MX2, he won every race. And then he won all three at the final round. That's 17 wins. And because they were all on the same day, same weekend, once he'd gone up to uh, the MX2 125 class then, he never lost a GP. Yeah. And that's 17 in a row. We have to point out that was one moto, but still, if in effect, two moto victories on the day. Is 17 the, the record? Technicality. Well, in, in his last season, 2006, he almost did the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, but then uh, the record again, I think, was well, he went, 14 in a row. Because then yeah, he was yeah. beaten by Josh Coppins in Northern Ireland, yeah. in Desert Island, and yeah. then went back to win again. Yeah. But he has won 17 Grand Prix. He stood on the podium 17 times in a row in 2003 across two and at the final round three classes so Prado, but Prado could equal that couldn't he he could you can't see anybody else beating him at the moment no not at the moment it's uh, it's too easy for him I mean his starts we had a camera side on in the qualifying race yesterday and it was almost as if the, the gate flinched he was already half a bike ahead of everybody else and he's doing that time and time again uh, what 20 whole shots now Fox whole shots this season he got 26 last year 
He explained to me after the press conference actually that they train for the first laps of the MX2 motors by heavily watering the track in Malagrotto in Rome, where he does a lot of his training motors, and that's quite a an interesting approach. I mean, it's hazardous, but you know, yeah. you have to wonder how many other people are thinking, let's douse the track, you know, mm. make Grand Prix-like conditions. How many people are actually riding when it's hammering down with rain on a hard pack track as well in the week? Probably not that many. Yeah. Um, but that's down to Claudio Di Carli. He's been around a long time. He knows how to prep his riders. Just ask Tony Cairoli. Yeah. And now Jorge. <laughs> <laughs> well, Prado is 140-point advantage. There's 150 left to win. By my reckoning, if, even if Thomas Kajera Olsen wins the first mode in Sweden, then he needs to finish, is it, uh, top... No, he has to finish 11th or... or he has to finish in the top 11, I think, just to make sure of it. Did you say 140 or 130 points? I think it's 130, isn't it, between uh, him and... Because it was... Um, we'll have to do the maths. Yeah, I mean, we'll do it right now, because both of us are not very well uh, yeah. <laughs> educated. There's a reason aspect. why I, I write for a living. 4 minus 5, 6, I'll 4. Try to write. 130. So, um, yeah. yeah. But again, uh, what's it going to be after the first race? Assuming... Jorge wins the first race and Olsen goes second. That goes 133 with uh, 125 on the table. So that will clinch it yep. in the first race. Just needs to finish in front of him. So World Championship done and dusted. But MX2, I mean, kind of like we discussed a little bit in the studio show uh, this weekend, you know, it's kind of there's, 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 bub there's talent bubbling away, isn't there? I mean, yeah. there's five riders, five principal riders moving out of the category for next year. But uh, I now make that 11 different riders on the podium in 2019. Uh, Maxim Renault, of course, uh, making the step up uh, today. Mm. And he was, you know, he was close in Indonesia. Um, and obviously he, his consistency paid off, but he obviously likes riding these hard, slick conditions, um, which we had in, in both Indonesian rounds. So uh, from his side, I think it's just perfect timing. And actually, for him, in the past when we've seen people make the podium for the first time, they've been all emotional and, you know, whatever, and can't <laughs> believe it. And he was very, very cool. The only person he really kind of, uh, well, the first person to congratulate him was Thierry Van den Bosch, his trainer, uh, four-time World Supermoto champion, as he reached the first corner after the race. And then um, on the podium, he, he took it all in his stride. And then after the race, Lisa spoke to him and it was almost like, well, yeah, it should have happened earlier. Yeah, you know, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I think that's kind of the attitude of a, of a future champion. You know, I think he's just starting to realise his potential. He's had a, two very difficult seasons with injuries uh, in EMX 250, shoulder injuries as well. Um, and so from that side, you know, he's, um, he's now 100% fit. He's riding strong. He's riding, he's fit. And we're seeing the rewards of that now. And obviously whatever the team, the Yamaha SM Action, MC Miliuri are doing with him is obviously working. And one other kind of notable piece of news from MX2 this weekend, uh, Tom Vial, uh, Jorge mm. Brado's teammate, pushed all the way up to third place in the championship, but a double DNF today. Um, maybe, you know, you could almost feel a result like that could be in the reckoning for a rookie that's been asked to deal with the deep sand of Lommel one week and then dealing with a hard pack like he had here, even though he was fantastically fast in practice. Uh, you know, a crash in the first moto while holding third and then right before the pit lane in, in the first seconds of the second moto. Mm. He didn't do more than two official laps today. You know, he, his first race, because obviously when you go from the start here, the finish line is alongside. So when you complete that first lap, that's an unofficial, an unofficial lap. So in the first race, um, he did one lap there and then he didn't even make it through the first opening lap in race two. Long way to come for 
one and a half minutes of action <laughs> in the race, you know, and yeah. um, he, from that side, you know, but they were, I think he's had two hard hits today as well because even though the first one he was okay, the bike was second hand and then he, I spoke to Dirk Grubel before I came up here a moment ago and he said he's okay but he crashed inside, you know, just in front of pit lane, went off the track, picked himself up and as he rejoined or he went to get up, he was hit twice, you know, once in the shoulder and then somebody else in the head, fork leg kind of skimmed his helmet kind of thing. So, um, and he wanted to get up and Dirk saying, no, no, no. And, but he insisted and then he didn't go so far and then he was like on his knees again, you know, yeah. a bit of a knock to the head. So um, lucky to get away with it by the sounds of it, but devastating for the youngster because on the verge of finishing third in his rookie season and, and gone from third to fifth and uh, Iago and Jacoby have now found a way through. So um, mentally he's going to have to dig in deep if he's going to rectify that third place over the next three rounds. Lastly, Paul, uh, just to sum up, you know, this was the second MXGP of Italy at Imola. Uh, already some rumours that this particular round of the series might go back to Majora. And it could be the third uh, resurrection of that, you know, iconic circuit for 2020. Um, if the Grand Prix does stay here, I mean, there seem to have been some lessons learned from last year with regards to the track. Some of the riders as well, the MXGP press conference said the track was better this year, had more flow to it. Um, when you come to a facility like this, uh, a road racing course, I mean, you're always going to be trying to wedge a motocross track in somehow, aren't you? So there are always going to be limitations, restrictions, and even, you know, a hint of, you know, a slightly sketchy nature about where the asphalt starts and where the, the you know, the, the, the hard pack of the soil begins mm. of the motocross track. It's, um, I think, you know, there was, there was riders who kind of looked at it dismissively and there were riders who kind of, you know, actually quite enjoyed the challenge of the circuit. You know, it's, it's, um, it's a weird one really because as a circuit, it's very easy for the keyboard warriors to get out there and say another flat track, another um, man-made, man-made track yeah. and, and all the rest of it. But credit where credit's due, this place, it, yes, it's flat down the bottom, but then you do utilize the, the hillside part of the circuit. And, and whilst it's not that steep, it's made steeper by the, the, the takeoff on the uphill triple, uh, the launch back down um, in the opposite direction. They utilize that hill very well, you know, three, four times. Um, but my only concern is, and we saw it here with Monticelli, yeah. um, you come out of the first turn, it's one of those things where you don't expect anybody to go off there, but there's always a possibility anybody can go off anywhere. And he fell, and where it's built up, like three, four feet high or whatever it is, he's gone over the top and, you know, he's landed on his head and, or he's banged his head. Um, and that's it. Strange place to crash, yes, but first turn, exit, people are going to bang bars, people get out of shape, especially through that first wave section. And he was the, you know, unfortunate recipient of that. Um, there were two areas on the racetrack that I looked at and I was like, hmm, you know, if I was going to do any, anything different, would be after pit lane, They've got uh, a bowl turn. You saw Brian Moreau crash just the other side of that single quite aggressively. But, you know, whilst it never happened in that left-hander and the straight in the opposite direction in the right-hander, they were very high bowl turns. And you get it wrong there, you bang bars with somebody there and you get a bit of whiskey throttle or you go over the top. You're launching high before you come down and there's no padding, there's no protection. Um, And maybe all I would say, you, you either pad it out but to what point, how far and whatever, put dirt or or whatever, I don't know. Or you can say, well, don't have such a high bank turn. Just 
you know, some sort of just, gentle just, incline, just yeah. lay it, you know, just um, just lift it ever so slightly. They're so similar height to the, the dirt that's on the ground, mm. but doesn't have to be so cupped on the top. Yeah. So that if you do need to go straight on, you can literally just ride it out and land. And there probably needs to be um, no-go zones for, you know, medical, marshals, press, media that might be in those areas because of that, you know. Um, but that might be the same in, in any bank turn, really. You yeah. Know? But, I mean, it, but that's, all, that's all I would say, just probably like lower those bank turns there because it also meant that, for the most part, people use that, that bank turn and it kind of um, took away the inside line in some respects. Yeah, the dirt was ferried in and you're always going to... It's the it's same as last year, apparently. Right. It was going to be a bit of a gamble, you know, as to how that needs together and, and you know, how it, how it develops over the race weekend. I mean, it's not a, a case where a track like Assen or even Zolder back in the mm. day where it was sandy, so you pretty much know what you're going to get. Mm. So that's, that's, always, that's always another thing. But then the characteristics of this circuit, to be frank, are not any different to what you'd find in a typical hard pack no. sort of tight <coughs> Italian track at Castellano de Lago or Montevarchi. Exactly, and you could sit there and say, oh, the track's sketchy. You know, a lot of riders say, you know, like sketchy, square edge bumps and everything else. It's a motocross track. It's going to break down. This dirt being brought in and stacked three, four feet high on asphalt is no different to being in the ground at any of those venues that you've mentioned. It's still going to go dry. It's forty. It's thirty degrees out there today. Thirty-two yeah, degrees. Fiercely hot. It's going to get hard. It's going to get uh, hard pack. It's going to be blue groove. Those edges are going to get there. They're still going to have difficulties watering. Um, they're still going to put water on <laughs> baked upslopes and uh, downsides on yes. on the racetrack. You know that make it very slick. Um, and you know that would be the same if it was Fiennes or Fermo up the road, not a million miles away from here. Yeah, it's one um, epidemic I think needs to be addressed. You know, in MXGP, is a little bit of water in the consistency. You know, that's that's something maybe to look at for next year. But you know, it was. I mean, I, I kind of expected more people. Being honest, I mean, it was very much a Tim Geiger Grand Prix. There was a huge support from Slovenia, a lot of uh, yellow and red in the stands. But you know, being on the edge of a long weekend, holiday on Thursday, depth of August. You know. Italy very much like Spain where I live where it kind of closes down throughout August and maybe the the scheduling of this fixture it was the last Grand Prix of the year last year in September and uh, of course everything moving with the Grand Prix of China this year Mm. so maybe that had a bearing as well yeah and obviously when the um, what we thought was the final schedule uh, calendar came out where this initially was going to be one week before Assen so we were going to go from uh, road race venue to road race venue um, two very different surfaces and, and characteristics of the track. Um, then, like you say, the, the problems in Hong Kong with uh, the track not being ready and a lot of rain over the winter meant they needed to put back. So that got shifted. Switzerland got cancelled. This got moved to the Swiss date. We should have been in Switzerland this weekend. And more people probably would have turned out there because of Siwa, because yeah. of Tonus. Um, and that would have been fantastic. But, you know, when it was rejigged and Imola was on the calendar, um, whilst we had a great atmosphere last year, the we had Hurlings and we had Cairoli. Yeah, Cairoli a big the, miss. You know, and both of those were a big miss this weekend, Cairoli especially. And um, that would have helped generate, but August, like you say, middle August, 32 degrees, there's a beach 20 minutes away. Plenty of beaches 20 minutes away from here. <laughs> and um, it was mentioned, you know, a month ago to me that if the weather's great, then more yeah. people probably go there irrespective of. So, you know, it was unfortunate because actually the racing was good. Um, it was close and it was close and um, you know we got to see we'll a world see. champion crowned yeah we'll see if we uh, if MSG becomes back here next year but uh, one more thing Paul this was uh, also the inaugural event for the FIM E let me try and get this right EX bike 
uh, World Cup. Yep. Um, it was weird, I think is the word that springs to mind, but you know, having watching bicycles go around on a motocross track, once you got through the idea that it's almost crazily slow, it looks very out of place, it's actually just, it's a bicycle race. I mean, I thought it was quite, uh, I wouldn't use the word entertaining, but it, it was a novelty. Um, I Different. think it definitely needs tweaking for a format. The class um, names need to be <laughs> tweaked. Yeah. Because I was uh, live commenting and it was like E, X, B, G, B, <laughs> women and, and two and, and, every, and it's just like too much of a mouthful. They need to simplify that. Um, otherwise, yeah, you know, I think... Maybe the people, rules as people, well. The, the winner was kind of riding more than pedaling, it seemed, at some point. I... You know what? That was the weirdest thing for me because when we focused in on him, you've got everybody else pedaling like crazy, even though they were e-bikes. I'm guessing electric because there's no fuel involved. And then this guy who designed and built his own version, maybe has the latest technology more so than people like Giant and 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 you know other bikes yeah. brands. He would pedal twice, and the thing would just like kick in and just like propel him 40k down the track. And then you know <laughs> he was the only guy not pedaling up. The, uh, yeah, the steep jumps just, here, you know? Just winding this thing. I, I and it baffled me. It baffled me. I apologise in advance for the ignorance of not knowing this, this, this gentleman's name from Slovenia, I think. So they had a double uh, this yep. weekend. But it was, um, you know, it's almost like going back to the old days of racing. A guy mm. rocks up with his own creation, just kicks ass. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, he kicked ass. But it was three minutes, about three minutes 11 yeah. was, I think, yeah. the fastest lap yeah, time. Yeah, lap time. Um, you, you know, know MHGP guy's doing, you know, it was double, it was double uh, yeah, motocross yeah, yeah. bike. So um, he obviously had some power beneath him and, and fair play. The funniest thing about that, though, as soon as he crossed the line, the technical stewards, obviously being very uh, forceful, he didn't have time to celebrate. He, he rode down the finish line. They stood in front of him, stopped him, chucked him off his bike and like, get away from your bike. We are impounding this. And right. then the same with the second guy and the third guy and the winner. It was just like, we need to put him through technical control. They didn't sound test it, did they? they? Didn't, no, they failed noise <laughs> tests. They were too quiet. <laughs> Listen, Paul, thanks ever so much for all your words. Um, we'll catch up again in Sweden next weekend um, as MSGP hurries to a conclusion. Um, cheers. Thanks again. No problem. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I'm still